Hello, I'm Aaron Lohr. And I'm Caitlin Andrzejczyk. And this is the Endocrine News Podcast. In this special Women in Endocrinology series, we are excited to speak with the authors of 12 influential, high-impact research papers representing the spectrum of basic through clinical research, geographical diversity, and career stage, published in Endocrine Society journals since 2017. In this podcast episode, I spoke with Dr. Stina Jensen, a research scientist at Novozymes in Denmark. Her 2017 endocrinology paper titled Elucidating the Biological Roles of Insulin and its Receptor in Murine Intestinal Growth and Function was nominated and selected for our Special Women in Endocrinology collection. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So thanks a lot for joining me all the way from Denmark. I'm happy to be here and uh, to talk with you about this paper and my research in general. Can you provide a big picture overview so this paper is about insulin and insulin receptors in the gastrointestinal tract. And you can say that a lot of research has so far been done in tissues like the liver, the fat tissue, and the muscles, these target tissues for insulin, but not so much have been done in the gastrointestinal tract. So our motivation for doing this research was, first of all, from a biological point of view, that we know there are many insulin receptors in the gastrointestinal tract, especially in the distal part. So the question is, of course, what, why are they there and what biological role do they have? And then from a pharmaceutical point of view, it has also gained interest because they are more focused on developing oral drugs to be absorbed through the gastrointestinal tract. And that is, of course, a challenge. But the main challenge is also to understand what these drugs, such as insulin, could do in the gastrointestinal tract. From that perspective, you will also need some kind of understanding of what could the biological role of insulin be there? So you're sure you do the safety part and also in order to develop new drugs. So that's why we focused on to have a model system where we gave these mice uh, insulin at high dose and we had a system where we knocked out the insulin receptor in the gastrointestinal tract and looked at what phenotype these mice developed. And we focused on the metabolic effects, but also on some other effects, such as the barrier function, for example, uh, to somehow cover uh, both what we know about insulin, but also what we know about the gastrointestinal tract and what could be important there. I think I'd like to go into the model system, the mice mm-hmm. that you used a little bit for this study, because mm-hmm. I know that you had some really interesting findings with them. So can you explain a little bit about the mice that you used and the findings that you had? So we use this knockout model. At first, we just use wild-type mice just to give them uh, not oral insulin, but subcutaneously insulin high dose just to see what actually happened to the intestine and the metabolic effects. And then we use this knockout model where we have knocked out the insulin receptor throughout the entire gastrointestinal tract, so both the jejunum and the colon. And then we looked at both the morphology of the intestine, the intestine changes both in length and the crypts and the villi, so like from a morphological point of view. But we also looked at metabolic studies and oral fat testing. And looked at gene expression throughout the gastrointestinal tract of, for example, genes involved in sugar uptake, fat uptake. And a major finding here was that we have some issues with the controls. Or we actually saw one of our control strain, like the villain Cree, had some um, phenotypes that we were quite surprised to see. And 
that somehow triggered our whole system because we are very difficult to see differences from our knockout and to the control suddenly because this phenotype of this uh, villain tree was quite pronounced in basically all our endpoints, both from the intestine morphology, we saw reduced intestine of these uh, mice, also body weight. And interestingly enough, they actually had an impaired glucose tolerance test as well. So they were somehow had a very strange phenotype that was very difficult for us to explain and therefore also very difficult for us to actually explain what the insulin receptor, when we knocked that out in the mice, what that could do because this phenotype was so strong. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And so suddenly we had not just that control, we also had a heterozygote mouse model, like one which had only one insulin receptor knocked out on one of the alleles, and we had flux control. And it's usually the flux mice that are used as a control here. But we decided to actually have three controls to be sure that whatever we saw in the insulin receptor knockout mice model, that was basically caused by the insulin receptor knockout and not any control effect. But unfortunately, or you can also say luckily, we captured that. But there will be more research needed to further address what this villain Cree could impact on phenotype, not only in our model system, but in general, because it is a model system that has been widely used to knock out proteins. Yeah, yeah, a lot of uh, different mouse models, cream models, have used villain. So to knock it out specifically in um, the gastrointestinal tract for different purposes. Yeah. So this is a very interesting result. Um, yeah. And I imagine that many other groups using this mouse model are going to be interested in this. Exactly. And that's also what we wanted to somehow uh, make sure that this was the message. One of the key messages also from this paper was to actually say or show that how important it is to have the right controls with you, especially because the technology nowadays allows us to do a lot, but we definitely also need to be sure to include the right controls in these studies because they might have phenotypes we don't see otherwise, and then we suddenly conclude on stuff that actually doesn't belong to what we think we, we, we are studying. So I think it's very important sometimes to also be critical to these technologies and to as again, to make sure to include the right controls, check them out before, and then rather do less comprehensive studies, but then thoroughly. Because it is it is a lot of work with these individual studies and all these endpoints you want. So suddenly you can have to have 10 controls compared to your knockout, and that becomes quite a lot of work. Also because of the variations you have within your um, your mice or your mouse groups. So of course it is all a balance, but that's why I'm just trying to say sometimes it might be important also to publish these kind of control studies to make actually a paper or study focusing mainly on addressing what are the controls, what are their phenotypes, how should we deal with that in other contexts. So can you tell me a little bit about how you would deal with this? So if you want to continue investigating the original question, how could you go about doing that? Are there alternatives to the villain Cree mouse model that you could use? There is this inducible as well, but they are all based on villain Cree somehow. But the mouse group we used was basically where the mice were born with the knockout. So you can say they grew up with a knockout insulin receptor. You can also have the inducible uh, knockout. You're still using the Cree system, but maybe that's less sensitive to have these phenotypes. So in general, I think it's just very important to be aware of and to include the right controls. I think I'm not completely updated on a new kind of approaches today. This is some years ago I did this study, but maybe you have different mouse models today where you have addressed this or it is being addressed because so far what I remember, it was only the flux mice that was used as a control. 
Was there anything else from your study that you were able to take away and look at that would relate more to the actual gastrointestinal insulin receptor? I think what I found very surprising was actually that insulin receptor seems to be very pronounced in the distal part of the gut. As we saw, for example, on the AKT level, the first AKT activation of that uh, by insulin actually was quite strong in the colon compared to the small intestine. And I think when everybody says insulin, they think metabolism, something that has, insulin has a metabolic role such as in increasing sugar or fat uptake, but this is not happening in the distal part where you have more the defense mechanisms going on. So that surprised me quite a lot that actually maybe insulin plays a completely different role in the gastrointestinal tract compared to other tissues such as the fat and liver and the muscles. So we did test, of course, the barrier function on tissue from these mice. Unfortunately, we couldn't see a very strong phenotype. We saw from some of our groups, like the knockout of the male, that it has an increased barrier in the colon, I believe it was. So there was a small phenotype there, but I think it's something that's worth to dig more into, actually. And in one of our papers that was done proper to this, we did an unbiased proteomic approach where we actually saw proteins that were involved in defense mechanisms, such as defenses that these cloud mice had a changed expression of these proteins in the distal part of the intestine. So this just suggests that Insulin in the gastrointestinal tract has a different role in the receptors too, um, which I think is very important and maybe very relevant to keep doing some studies on that path. So in addition to its metabolic role, it might be having a role mm -hmm. in defense mechanisms. Exactly. Um, in, a, in an environment where you have the immune cells, the microbiota, uh, and not all the glucose transporter and, and fat transporters and amino acid transporters, but a different environment. And that I find, we actually saw that the activation or the insulin receptor level was almost equally as high as in the liver based on some other studies not published here. But so that I find very interesting. Well, thank you very much for this overview of the paper. I, I think it's a fascinating topic. And I think having this discussion about the importance of using all of the correct controls for these animal studies yeah. is going to be very helpful for scientists, people running these experiments make sure that we're actually performing the correct experiments mm. with all the, mm -hmm. the controls. So I kind of want to know what you're working on now. So I understand that you are working at a pharmaceutical uh, industry called Novozymes. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So actually, I worked in the Novo Nordisk uh, pharmaceutical when I also did this paper. This was part of a collaboration between University of Toronto and Dr. Brubaker's lab and Novo Nordisk, the pharmaceutical company. And after I finished this, I actually moved into a biotech company called Novo Time. So it's not a pharmaceutical, but a biotech. And I'm still working with the gastrointestinal tract. You can say I've been working with the gastrointestinal tract since I did my PhD, where I worked with inflammatory bowel disease. Then I worked with insulin, and now I work with animals and animal health. So what we're doing here is that we are trying to find some alternatives for antibiotics. There's a huge uh, use of antibiotics in animal production, like chicken and swine. And we want to find an alternative for that, such as probiotics, like some good bacteria or enzymes, something that will support the animal health and prevent to use so much antibiotics. Uh, so I'm still, as you can hear, working around the gastrointestinal tract. But now with the main focus on the interaction between the microbiota and the host, such as the epithelial cells in the gut and the immune cells. 
So instead of looking at insulin, now it is the bacteria I'm focused on. So more specifically, then I am establishing in vitro assay. I have moved a bit, bit away from in vivo. The paper I just talked about was all in mice. And now I'm working with cell lines, like epithelial cell lines from the gut and immune cell lines, and trying to figure out what is the mode of action of some of these good bacteria that you can find in the gut of animals and also in the nature, and try to see if they could um, help these animals to, um, um, so you don't need to give them antibiotics, but also that they grow up in a more natural way and don't get sick during the production time. So again, it's all around the gastrointestinal tract. I think it follows me, but maybe because I really think it's a very, very interesting organ, you can say, a system, I would say, because it's a very diverse system. And I think sometimes we neglect a little bit how important it is also, for example, in the insulin research, that we mainly focus on these three key tissues as the liver and the, t- and the fat and the muscles, and sometimes forget that there are also other tissues where we could see effects of insulin or yeah, other things that could actually be very interesting and could be a key for other things that we would like to understand more of. This is what I'm doing right now. Still doing research, both basic, but also definitely a very applied research as it is a company. But here we also have a key focus on doing high-tech research uh, to support our products. And the fact that you're continuing your work in the gastrointestinal tract, but then just looking at it from a different perspective, that's very, very interesting. And me personally, I'm very interested in the microbiome and mm-hmm. just trying, uh, it's going to be very interesting in the future to know how this is affecting humans as well as exactly. animals. So I look forward to learning more about your work and the work that your company is doing. Yeah, I agree that the microbiome has been also neglected a bit and also the impact of that in different diseases and health, uh, not only in animals, but for sure also in humans. Also for diabetes, for example, and I'm very, I like to read papers and see how much research is going in that direction to understand how we can also manipulate our microbiota in different ways and thereby strengthen our health stage, but also, yeah, and prevent diseases as we see more and more. So yeah, we also use the microbiota to support animals and instead of using antibiotics and drugs and stuff, but actually in a more natural way to help and use the capacity of that too, you can say. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you would like to share a little bit about your personal experience as a researcher. You've definitely made quite a couple different career moves, uh, yeah. and I was just wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. I think research is so much fun. I think that is such a interesting area where you can actually explore so many new things and you can figure out stuff. And so for that, that's my, somehow my motivation for being in research. Of course, there is a difference between being a scientist in academia versus in the industry. And so far, I've been very lucky that I have been, especially in the basic research part in the company, so I have been able to explore a lot, but with an applied glasses, you can say, uh, because we, of course, want these, um, whatever we, we figure out, we want that applied in a product. So I would say when I worked in the academia, also at University of Toronto, there is time to explore things and to really go in depth with different areas and figuring out why does this work and publish that because that is your product in academia. That is your paper. They are key for your success and for also moving on to other areas. Whereas in the uh, company, the main focus is not to publish, but it is to make sure what you do 
can be somehow applied or has a relevance. And there you need to be willing to sometimes also to give up on a project that you might have a lot of passion about and you feel this is really, I believe so much in that. But if there's someone who might think differently, someone above you, you will have to just accept that because time is money. So if something hasn't shown what it should, it will be shut down and you will have to just accept that and, and move into another area or focus on that path that was established to begin with. So there's not so much time to go in your little circle that you sometimes have more time to do in the academia and go really in depth. Here you will have some milestones in the company where you have to deliver. But personally, I also enjoy that a lot. I think it makes sure that I keep myself on track of what I'm doing. So when I like the applied settings, I'm also original and engineer. So I have always been this kind of mindset. I like to see what is this going to end up with. And we could not be without the research that is being conducted at the universities too, for sure not. But I also like sometimes to say, okay, this didn't work. We will have to move on to another approach. And my experience with research is also how important it is to collaborate. I think it is one thing we really need to support all what we can do because it's for sure the best research, no doubt. As a scientist, you're an expert in a field. You're not an expert in everything. And that's why you really need help from other scientists in other fields and other areas. That's basically from modeling, mathematical modeling, to statistics, to you name it. All this is important for research, but you can be an expert in everything. And I think it's very important to be able to collaborate with those who are and be willing to do that too. I have for sure got the best data out when I have been in groups where this has been supported highly. So I think that's extremely important. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? Anything that I've missed? Yeah, I also want to say that I know that research, there's no two lines, there's no final results, you know, like it's not like this is it and this is the conclusion. I think we should always be able to also challenge conclusions and make sure that as we talk about controls, be aware of what kind of controls uh, you're including in your studies and be creative because this is also what makes research so much fun. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank and, you, um, Kagan, Yeah. What I really liked about my conversation with Dr. Jensen was learning about the phenotype associated with the villain Cree mouse model that they observed and discussing the importance of using all the appropriate controls in knockout mouse studies. You can find links to the thematic issue on our podcast page at www.endocrine.org podcast. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. To find other episodes, browse www.endocrine.org podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes in our series on women in endocrinology. You can find Endocrine News Podcasts on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Endocrine News Podcasts are a free service of the Endocrine Society. To learn more or to become a member, visit the Society's website at www.endocrine.org.